Hello, my name is Sarah Sloan, and you're listening to The Sarah Sloan Show. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's me, Sarah Sloan. Um, I hope you guys are doing well out there. I'm joined here with my father. First thing I did want to cover. During the State of the Union, Joe Biden begins to sound kind of like Trump. And he begins to talk about not defunding the police, but funding the police. Even though the Democrats had been all on this defund the police and it wasn't just the fringe of the party. It was everybody, especially mm. Kamala Harris. Mm. So um, Jason Whitlock, he's on The Blaze, and he really takes Biden to task on his show. So I just wanted to play a little bit of him discussing it. They've disrespected law enforcement for the last five or six years. It's actually been longer than that, going back to Trayvon Martin, and he wasn't even killed by law enforcement. We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police. Fund them. Pass my budget and keep our neighborhoods safe. Now, the murder rate in major cities skyrocketing all across the country. The violent crime rate skyrocketing all across the country. You got smash and grabs going on all across the country. In cities primarily controlled by Democrats and people in Joe Biden's party. I saw people over social media pretending like it was a fringe element of the Democratic Party that was calling for defund the police. It wasn't a fringe element. When everybody caught the George Floyd fentanyl Holy Ghost, they wanted the entire United States law enforcement agencies shut down, defunded. And it wasn't outside. Kamala Harris was paying bail for rioters. They've disrespected law enforcement for the last five or six years. It's actually been longer than that, going back to Trayvon Martin, and he wasn't even killed by law enforcement. But the disrespect and hostility towards law enforcement and the planned chaos, because that's what this was about, planned chaos. This was an orchestrated attack to demoralize the police, de- uh, lower everyone's respect for law enforcement so that we would have this kind of chaos. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> so, it, that's what... I had said this in uh, prior episodes. In the State of the Union, he was really trying to sound like Trump. Mm. Mm. And, and yeah, it, it sounds weird to hear Democrats yell USA. Just not used to it. They don't really like us. I was wondering what the squad and AOC were doing oh, at the time of that mention of, de- of funding the police, funding the police, that kind of shift that was taking place. Because you saw Republicans get up clapping. Yeah. I don't think the squad was. 
Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, you know, yeah, it's amazing. Folks can quickly forget, and they can say, oh, that was just the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, and maybe some of the others, like Biden, were being um, supportive of them, but not that really wasn't them. And I think that's the way they want to spin it now. It, you know, the one thing you can say about the Democrats, they don't back off an issue very easily. For them to make an about face on an issue or you might say repent of some position that they've held takes a lot. And this is one that has been so disastrously uh, a a failure in our country that they've actually had to do that. You know, you could talk about energy policy. They haven't, they're holding fast on that in, in, in the midst of all the terrible things happening. Abortion. Exactly. The, this, the border issues. Mm-hmm. Yep. They won't switch on that, even though everybody hates it. But this is one that has so universally hurt them, and they can see the writing on the wall as to midterms, that they're actually changing. So that's, that's really a lot. You know, this particular issue has really hurt them. Exactly so. And, you know, it was hurting a lot of black people and it was a hurt, it was hurting a lot of Hispanics. Um, because, you know, I say Hispanics that might, you know, surprise some people, but it's because down at the border, there's a lot of, you know, sketchy things going on and the border patrol are typically a lot of them are Hispanics. And so they're just as frustrated Mm -hmm. as anybody else Mm -hmm. with what they've had to deal with. So, and then of course with black people, a lot of crime takes place in urban you know, areas. And we hear about the terrible incidents that occur in places like Chicago, where you can be a little girl in a drive through line at a fast food restaurant and your car is just shot up mm. mm-hmm. for no reason. You know, I'm sure there is a reason, but, um, so those are two of the legs of the democratic party, two of the legs of the donkey. Mm. And what was that from? That was from Dick Morris. Right. Um, so to kind of, perfectly transition dick morris is now going to talk about the third leg and that's uh suburban women Mm. Mm -hmm. so we'll play that clip a show focuses on how to pry loose the third leg of the donkey college educated suburban women to find the answer we polled 800 suburban college educated women who were likely to vote here's what we found the key is to join and promote the parent revolution sweeping America's schools. Other issues work too, crime, inflation, COVID, personal liberty, but the need to give parents more power over their children's education turns out to be the most important. Parents can't stand it that when the school bus door closes, they are shut out of any voice in their child's education and lose the ability to influence the moral values their children are taught. Instead, schools that do not share those values, but instead spout those of the woke left, take over. Their children are taught gender is a matter of choice. Anatomy doesn't matter. It's your internal gender identity that counts. If they're in conflict, go get an operation. And the government should pay for it. From the beginning, children can and should be exposed to alternate sexual preferences. 
trans boys turned into girls should compete in girls' sports, even though they always win. All children must be vaccinated, regardless of their parents' wishes. Politically, Democrats agree with this usurpation of parental rights. We saw it in the 2021 Virginia governor's race, where Republican Glenn Youngkin beat Democratic candidate Terry McAuliffe, a big upset in a blue state. The epitaph on Terry's campaign tombstone was his famous quote that, and I quote, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach, unquote, R.I.P. The Jordan poll shows that 56% agree that parents should have more power over how their children are taught in school. Only 41% think that professional educators, not parents, know best. So we'll just pause and discuss mm-hmm. uh, what he said so far. So, um, yeah, Dick Morris, he has just been looking at each and every leg of the Democratic Party and mm-hmm. polling them to try to figure out how we can get those groups of people to vote Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad that people like him are looking into this and studying. Mm-hmm. College-educated suburban women. You know, I think one thing that he had said before is if they are, um, if they have no children, it's a different story. Mm. If, uh, if they're not, what did he say? If they were single mothers... I think really to any degree that they have um, children, they're going to be concerned about this particular issue. And this is an issue that can switch them overnight. Yeah. Yeah. If, you know, the loss of control of influence over their children. And yeah, so really many of the other issues that switch other people, they don't care about, but they do care about this one issue. And, and that's important enough, as we saw what happened with mm-hmm. what he mentioned, uh, the Virginia governor's race. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you can do when you mess with someone's kids. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, many of these women probably might tend toward being liberal, but they still don't want the schools to be doing their job. And, and they don't want to lose their influence you know, and cede it over to the schools. Because it is really strange how the schools have felt that way, where it's just mm-hmm. like, parents, stay out. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know what's going on at all. We're going to have these very perverted books in the school libraries, and we're going to have the kids look at these books, mm-hmm. and we're going to teach them all these uh, political, um, yeah, just uh, you know, just focusing on politics rather than focusing on the basics, mm-hmm. the math, the science, reading. It's weird. It's really weird, but mm-hmm. it's not coincidental. It's it's a uh, it's very purposeful. Oh yeah, you know I, I think uh, I used to always joke with a lot of sarcasm that oh, we're doing such a great job with math and science and English history and all the rest. Uh, we've got extra time on our hands, so we're just going to dedicate it to these topics. Yeah, we're the best in the world, education-wise, so yeah, we, we have plenty of time to spare. Let's focus on uh, critical race theory. That's right. Um, yeah, and I, I'm glad that Terry McAuliffe said what he did. Mm-hmm. Shot himself in the foot. He was being honest. Yep. They, they don't, you know, most of the time, they're too careful to be honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's play a little bit more of him. And we should not allow parents to second-guess their directives. College-educated suburban women sharply reject the policies that educrats 
a cross between educators and bureaucrats are pushing. 70% in our poll want schools have to get parental permission before teaching about gender identity and sexual diversity. 86% want parents to be informed if their children are assigned sexually explicit books or pictures and have, and have the right to object. And 78% want the majority of the members of school boards to be parents who actually have children in the schools they run, skin in the game, and they want them elected by their fellow parents. Parents are very unhappy about drug education in schools. Two-thirds say that their local schools treat drug experimentation as okay and normal. Parents believe that this permissive attitude is leading to an epidemic of drug use. And virtually all mothers, 87%, disapprove of how their schools are handling drug education. The liberal push to decriminalize drug use and sale is backfiring. But beware, other issues that Republicans are pushing don't work as well. Inflation may be the number one issue nationally, but suburban college women are too rich to worry much about it. <laughs> Only one-third say they had to change a lot of their buying habits because of higher prices. And they live in neighborhoods that are largely insulated from the national crime wave sweeping our city. Only a third said that crime has risen a lot in their neighborhood in the past year or two and a half said it stayed about the same. And on COVID, their views are worlds apart from ours. Suburban college women are still petrified about the disease. 58% insist that, and I'm quoting, we are still in an emergency situation and that local and state officials need emergency powers to deal with the ongoing crisis. Only 42% say that politicians are unnecessarily expanding and extending the pandemic emergency to preserve the powers they gained over the past two years. 56% not only want vaccinations to be required, but also would authorize employers to fire anyone who refuses. Among suburban college women, masks and vaccines are the holy grail. And the backlash we observe in Republican constituencies against them is not evident among college suburban women. To these women, the COVID mask is a badge of honor, signaling their personal virtue and commitment to helping other people. Putting a mask on your face is like putting a bumper sticker on your car. Wearing a mask each day is, of course, an intimate act, and suburban college women wear theirs proudly. Golly, just such a good analysis. Oh, and, boy. And as he says it, you're like, duh, but mm -hmm. you never think of it. Right. And I'm sure that whenever, if you're campaigning and you're on the stage and you're speaking to people, you're not thinking this way. You're not really sitting down. You're not polling people. Mm -hmm. You're not getting this analysis. And you get it free just, you know, listening to Dick Morris. You know, if anybody if anybody had enough money and they were running and they could hire him, mm -hmm. I can almost promise you you'd win. He's just so... So smart. You know, I guess when you have all the different issues together, you wonder which one carries greater weight. Hmm. And I think probably what he's saying is if you were wise as a politician, let's say a conservative politician, you would focus on this particular issue of the schools and the parental, um, you know, rights as to 
influence as opposed to the school's rights. If you focus on that issue, you're going to have a much better chance of, of winning. Because you really don't have to cover every single topic while you're campaigning. You really don't. Right. You can give greater emphasis on certain topics. And so, and, and people, it's not like people are stupid or anything, but if you're just talking about one topic, people are not thinking about a list of other topics. Mm. That's just not what, the way people think. They think about what you're talking about. You know, you could have a debate scenario where all the topics are asked. Hmm. And you have to at least, um, yeah, say how, you know, state your stance on each one. But as you're saying, which ones do you focus on? Which ones do you talk about when it's your choice what to talk about? What clips do you grab after the debate to mm -hmm. make your opponent look terrible, which is what they did so well at with Terry McAuliffe? Mm -hmm. Out of that debate, I didn't see any other clip. The only clip I saw was him saying that parents have no right to be involved in their child's education. That's, That's the only clip we saw. Yeah, you know, how do you form your campaign ads? What do you put in them? Or even in a debate, what do you say in your opening statement or your closing statement when you get to choose? What do you focus on? Mm -hmm. So all these things should be guidance uh, as to this constituency. Definitely. Yeah, and each one, they count as a vote. Mm -hmm. They're so important. So you've got to take the time to analyze them and figure out what makes them tick. And just to mention, college-educated suburban women who don't have children, not much hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's not an issue for them, and you're not going not gonna to swing them that way. That's so true. Yeah, it's amazing how you can change and how virtues can come just from the act of having children. Mm -hmm. Makes you a better person. True. I made you a better person, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You sure did. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, let's go to the verse. It's going to be John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word... They will keep yours also. Yeah, this whole, they, it's really, they're hating God. Right, that's right. And, you know, we often talk about this uh, concept of the world, and uh, maybe it's a very old-fashioned to think of things as being worldly. <clears throat> but world, you know, refers in Scripture to the ways of thinking, the philosophy, even the spiritual influence of those outside of the church. And, you know, that, you know, we're supposed to be in the world because we can't separate ourselves from it if we live normal lives, but not of the world, of the world referring to that we've embraced it and it's had an influence upon us. So uh, that aspect of hatred isn't something we like to admit. We want to be liked. You know, it feels a whole lot better to be popular and liked and uh, seen in, in a positive light. But at some point, we have to come to that reality of being hated. And we're hated, as long as we're being hated for good reasons, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. can we, can we get used to the fact that someone's going to dislike us? I remember the first time really thinking, like I knew someone really disliked me. Well, okay, no, this wasn't the first time. The other times people have disliked me, but I remember thinking, oh, this person dislikes me. 
what am I going to do with that? Because it made me feel terrible, but I knew I didn't do anything wrong. And so I really, like, it was hard just saying, God, I know that you like me. You don't only like me, you love me. And just kind of pushing through those negative feelings, it was really a mm -hmm. challenge, but mm -hmm. that's the only way. Mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, it, what are we supposed to do? We can't, if we change, then we're changing from the good that we're trying to, you know, live out in mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. Right. So we don't have any choice. We're going to have to get used to it, but it's not fun. <laughs> that's true. And it is a very sad thing when you see people compromising their faith in order to gain a favor uh, so that others would like them. And we sure don't want to be among those. Mm -mm, no way. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening to the show. And I hope you learned uh, a thing or two. You have a wonderful day.